Welcome to another episode of Around the Houses with me, Neil Jensen, from St James's Place. I'm delighted to be joined today by Patrick O'Donnell, who is CEO of Lynx Moving. We're recording this here in Hong Kong. Patrick, we've spoken to each other on Zoom before, but we've never met face to face, so it's an absolute delight to meet you at long last. Well, it's a, a real pleasure, Neil, to be here and uh, to be able to sit down with you and meet you face to face. So, um, as you imagine, the last year has been quite busy for us. Um, we've been endangered species. <laughs> very, very busy indeed. Um, Patrick, give me a little bit of your background. How did you get into this business and, uh, and a little bit about Lynx moving as well, please? Well, um, I grew up in Hong Kong, so I'm an expat family. My father was a judge here and uh, I went away to university and uh, for family reasons came back here to give the family some help. I ended up uh, joining the, the international moving industry, which is um, some described as like um, entering a crab pot. You can get in, but you can't get out. So uh, from 92 to 97, I was very active in the major movements out of Hong Kong and uh, establishing in China. And then in 97, I set up the Lynx brand with some uh, angel investors and um, 26 years later we're still going and we're going strong um, and uh, we've got a good size of, of business and activity uh, in the Hong Kong marketplace. It must have been a bold move to set up and watch it grow and actually realize that at some point this could actually work. <laughs> well I, I, I'd always been, been an entrepreneur in university I had various uh, student businesses um, and but I set up at the age of 25, so the only person I was risking was myself. If it was all going to uh, go pear-shaped, then it was just going to cost me my savings. Well, it's obviously gone <laughs> fairly well because you're very much still in business <laughs> and, a, and a huge name. So let's, let, let's get into this. We're, we're looking at somebody who is looking to relocate. Obviously, we're talking here from Hong Kong. It wouldn't have to be from Hong Kong, but I guess yeah. let's base it on that for now. So when somebody's considering a relocation company, what should they look out for from different companies? Because obviously there's lots of different companies advertising the market. What would your advice be on that? Um, my advice generally has been you need to look at uh, an international company that has international systems. There are many companies on their websites that will put the word international, but they are really just glorified local moving companies, you know, the Yan Yans and so forth like that. We've also, because the sector's become so busy in the last two years, we've had freight forwarding companies um, sort of hang out their shingle and just say that they're international uh, movers. So um, really to be able to do it, there's a lot of points of contact with clients there's a lot of critical uh, personal information um, that you need to have the right people, the right systems to be able to, to be able to do the, um, the industry and the movements. You also have to have the flow of shipments. As um, ocean freight prices were higher, people would be much more selective about what they shipped. Um, and that meant you had to have a company that had a good flow of shipments going out. For example, for the UK at our peak last summer, we were loading two containers per day, and we loaded at least one container every single day of last year. So we had that pipeline, so people didn't have to wait for their goods for three, two, three, four months, right? You know, for them to depart Hong Kong. 
And in a, I wouldn't say a normal year, but in a quieter year, how does that compare numbers-wise? Um, in terms of numbers, uh, we jumped by about 70% last year. Um, and uh, so we had to make sure that we had the systems that could scale. Um, there were a lot of late hours. Um, you know, the crews were working incredibly hard. Um, yeah, um, but we were able to, to, to manage and get through it. And I should imagine that if you have got that full international end-to-end -end ability, you have greater ability to get onto ships and access because I guess you're a big client of somebody else and therefore you probably get more favourable treatment, is that fair? Yeah, we, um, we're lucky we've also got a logistics business which is a B2B business. Um, so we've got contracts with the major shipping lines uh, and you were absolutely right, some of the shipping lines identified the niche and they were very receptive. Um, and uh, that was very helpful when prices were high, when space was short, when there were blanking sailings. Um, you, you had to have that, otherwise you just have cargo sitting here. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it had. In terms of actually relocating, so you find that you're going, it might be planned, it might be, it might be put upon you with, with your employer. How far ahead should somebody look to start booking a relocation company? Look, the more time you can give, the better set up you'll be to move. So um, we as an industry like the early birds, if they want to contact us four months before, um, it allows us to get their, their quotes out, they can get boxes, um, they can get everything sort of planned the way they, they need to. There are aspects of an international relocation that they will not know about until we visit with them and talk with them and, and then they can get onto that things. Things like the transfer of residence for the UK. So there's procedures that need to, need to be put in place. It can be as short as one or two months, but just remember if you're coming up to a school holiday, particularly the end of a school year in the Northern Hemisphere and you know, June, end of June, the entire industry is getting super busy. I should imagine that's your peak time, school yeah. holidays, well the end of any major school holidays, Easter, Christmas, but the summer being yeah. the main one. Yeah, in July last year um, we handled 431 shipments in one month. <laughs> and at a busier time of year, does that make it more expensive? And I'm not talking about you would deliberately charge somebody more, but I would imagine that just access to ships and, and lorries and everything is, is more difficult. Um, that's why it's important that people lock in their dates. Right? And if they have a particular date because of travel plans and they need to uh, make sure they get it locked in, um, the crews will ask for a surcharge because there's a finite number of packers in the industry. So, so we do have a summer sort of surcharge in place. Um, they want to be rewarded for their work. It's just like, um, you know, uh, uh, restaurant staff would like a Chinese New Year bonus, right, or something like that. So um, the workers are working really hard, they're working really long days, um, and just, yeah, the other services. So there is a huge um, uh, peak that goes on at that time in terms of activity. From a January to December calendar month, is there traditionally a cheaper month that somebody could move if they were really looking on a budget? Yeah. 
In terms of uh, traditionally outside of the school holidays, so outside of that sort of Easter summer period and Christmas, um, these sort of off periods when if you didn't have kids, um, you know, you were moving in a, in a February or an October or a November, um, those would be better. I guess what's happened over the last two years is because we've had such movements, such numbers of movements, we really haven't come off. Um, and because of uh, uh, matters that happened in Hong Kong, like, I mean, we picked up in March and we did not uh, start to come off our peak until November. Now, one of the things that people often have all sorts of issues with is pets. Tell me a little bit about relocating pets. I know during COVID it was an absolute disaster. Um, so let's assume that we're now in normal and, and better times. Tell me a little bit about relocating a pet or pets. Okay, well, I think the first problem that happened was this is not a profit-making business for the airlines. So when they got into uh, financial challenges with COVID and restrictions, they immediately dropped um, doing pets um, as a business. So um, in the middle of COVID, I think it was only British Airways or charter your own plane. And I was asked to put do a quote to some uh, two Dovermans going to Niseko. And uh, they had to fly British Airways to Heathrow, go to the Doggy Hotel in Heathrow, and then repatriate back to Tokyo and you can imagine the eye-watering cost of that quote. <laughs> so that was at its absolute worst and then um, gradually as, as uh, flights have come back um, you know I, uh, you've got certain airlines if your animal's really small you can take it in a, in a carrier and with you in, um, on the plane and uh, the US airlines are, are better um, at um, offering, if you've got a book ticket, offering you to, to take a pet carrier on it. Um, the big thing you need to do if you is uh, visit your vet, okay? Um, uh, the vet um, will you know, be able to advise you about the chipping of the animal, about what sort of injections or vaccinations are required. So if you're thinking about it, that's the, that's the first sort of um, port of call, go to the vet. And does the animal need a passport? No, no, but they need the right paperwork and the tests need to be done within a certain period of, of, the, of the animal flying. So um, the paperwork has to, has to be right, otherwise at um, air cargo they just won't let the animal on. You're just wasting it. It must have been immensely stressful for you and the team during this time when people, I guess, just expect that the pets can go with them and you have no ability to relocate the pets? Look, it's just, it, it's, it's just sad and difficult, right? Um, you're just explaining. I mean, there was cases of like pit bull terriers, um, which some, you know, the airlines at the best of times wouldn't say, and then were um, owners of that chartering planes. Wow. Um, right, uh, down to Malaysia and elsewhere, <laughs> elsewhere. Right, so I think there was one flight of, uh, of well, entirely of, of pet owners because they had no other choice. <laughs> the mind boggles. 
What about motor vehicles? Do many people take their, their, their motor vehicles with them? When the ocean, so the ocean freights went, because of the shortages and the global supply chain, they went very high during the COVID period. So even though you, your car is on the right side of the road for the UK, you might not have wanted to ship it. Now that rates have returned to pre-COVID levels, um, we're getting many more cars are being shipped. A, because uh, there, there has been a lack of used cars available for, for sale. Um, you'll see in the UK that, you know, we buy anycar.com and, you know, is really very active advertising. So there is an awful lack of, uh, of cars. Cars in Hong Kong have done limited mileage. Um, so I, I definitely think um, uh, it's, it's appropriate now to be shipping cars, right? There's a few tweaks that need to be done. It needs a rear left side fog light. It needs the kilometers changed to mileage on the odometer. But there are specialty um, uh, uh, dealerships that will deal with all of that. So if you have a Mercedes or an Audi or whatever, and that's what we do. We import it and then we have it uh, um, moved to the appropriate dealer for whatever uh, so MOT. It goes in the container, gets to the destination, you then immediately drop it off there yeah. and then yeah. and then client goes and yeah, collects client, it. That's really yeah, good. And it sort of um, you know, gets it uh, licensed plates, plates on it and, and so forth. Like. Typically how long from it arriving at the port to you actually picking it up from the dealer would it normally take? Probably, if they didn't have a backlog of, of, of sort of vehicles, uh, I would about imagine about two and a half, three weeks. That's not bad. Right? So you might rent a car for a while and then, and then you've got your, uh, your regular car coming online. Mm, brilliant. And you can also send it earlier if you want. It doesn't have to go at the same time as your personal effects. Okay. Excellent. Um, points of consideration when moving to the UK. Um, is there a better time of year and other things to think about in terms of border control arrangements? Uh, so there's a couple of uh, things to think about. I think the UK financial tax year is really important, which obviously starts on the 1st of April. If you're going to get a gratuity or any sort of lump sum payment, uh, you would want to make sure that you receive it before the beginning of that tax year. So we do have a lot of people, if they're retiring or um, they definitely manage uh, the dates of their their departure around the beginning of the tax year. Then uh, for the UK you need to now do uh, what's called a transfer of residence. So this actually does link back to HMRC. So we haven't seen cases of it being actively linked but it, but it is an HMRC document and you turn around and say, I'm going to live in this place, I'm, to, I'm resuming residency in the UK. So I think that would be uh, a, a tick box on your um, domicility, okay. right, in the UK. Now, if, for example, you want to send artwork or books or, you know, but you're still living in Asia or overseas, um, a very effective way to do it is to send it, not do the transfer of residence, pay the duty. The duty is affordable, it's, um, it's relatively low, and once you've paid the duty, 
you've got another piece of paper that you can pr prove to HMRC that you were not domicile at that time. Okay, that's good advice. So we have a lot of uh, people with bankers and law firms who, uh, who want to take advantage of that. So you're talking about sending valuable items. I would imagine insurance is a common part of the agreement and something that you would always re recommend that people take out. Yeah, I think you're better to buy it through the moving organization. Um, generally, insurance premiums have gone up. Uh, so it's really important that you've got all of the uh, everything, all aspects of the move covered. Um, you might have a broker that says, "Sure, we can we can do it," uh, but they just they just don't have the mold mildew. They don't have the mechanical electrical derangement. They don't have the pairs and sets clause because as the cost of insurance has gone up, they have have, have taken these out, and they also have higher deductibles. So um, it can be really um, Typically, what would somebody end up claiming on the insurance? What are the typical things? So statistically, um, we have claims on 5% of our shipments. Now that is low uh, by industry averages. Uh, and uh, normally our, our claims are around about two to 3,000 Hong Kong dollars. So we do an awful lot of work on risk prevention and um, ideally we would like to not have claims. So we invest a lot in packing material and, and training and techniques um, to, uh, to make sure that um, claims are kept to a minimum. It's something that we're constantly striving for. So we, we want to try and get that down to 4% or 3%. With the number of shipments that we're having, um, you know that's that's still a hundred clients that you know that we have to deal with on a claim. So um, that's that's something that we're passionate about and we work hard towards. I, I would like to mention something that uh, we do have a number of clients that are moving art pieces and objects of art, and um, from an insurance point of view, the insurance premium is lower if you send it by air does not make much sense when you've seen your suitcases unloaded and handled, but the insurance premiums are around about 2% versus 3% for sending by um, sea shipment. Is that because of weather? I think it's because it's faster. Right. Right. Um, and often we, we do uh, wooden crates um, for it, so it's very well protected. Um, I, my first week of January was taken up with what I call my, my affluent South Siding clients who had come back from their skiing holidays and wanted to start moving artwork. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just blew out my entire week. Brilliant. <laughs> and storage, is that, is that common for people? Because obviously they'll, they'll move, but they might not necessarily have a permanent residence to move into. It might be renting for a period of time. What does that involve? Um, we, were, we were nervous about offering too much storage last year as we saw numbers of, of, of moves increasing dramatically. Uh, so we went to our overseas partners and we said, okay, you guys are going to be the side that's being, going to do the storage. So we got uh, uh, good storage rates. Um, 
from Australia, from the UK, and so forth. Um, and and they said, look, you can't hold up when you've got that that amount of shipments. You you need to make sure that the pipeline keeps flowing. So we shipped, and we literally filled up warehouses around the world. Right. Um, yeah, I, I get moaning complaints about like our forklifts are overworked, and you know. So there's a warehouse in Tunbridge Wells that we have we have filled. You should buy a storage. Uh, that might be your next one. That may be the next uh. next one. <laughs> so yeah, I had the Australia called up um, and uh, we worked with a, a big company down there, Rag Grace Removal, owned by Jim, Jim Thompson, and uh, they're a big player and they said, gosh, you guys are sending a mountain of work. And I said, you haven't seen anything. <laughs> so UK, obviously, major destination for links. Uh, Singapore, I should mm -hmm. imagine, has been very yeah. popular. Australia, are they the main three? I would, uh, I would say so. Canada is pivoting this year. Um, you've got to remember that certain of those countries weren't accessible for, it was only citizens that were able to go back during because of COVID restrictions. So as Australia opened up, Australia became busier. Um, and now Canada is definitely picking up. The States is also, is also picking up. Um, Dubai is. Uh, I is should imagine Dubai is huge. Yeah, Dubai is also a, a, a another, and Thailand is also um, appearing on, on a lot of shipments as well. With what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, have you had to um, have any issues with sanctions or anything like that in terms of nationalities? Have you come across any of that? Um, no, largely, largely not. I mean, we wouldn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're just mainly shipping into Europe and, and so forth and westernised countries. Okay. We're, not, we're not facing that too much. Obviously, UK is, is something that this podcast concentrates a lot on. Have you found, Patrick, that there's been specific hotspots that containers have moved to in the last 12 months? Yeah, we were, we were a little bit surprised because traditionally um, it had been uh, London and the home counties where a lot of clients would, would sort of move to. Um, but what we found is uh, clients uh, sort of regarded England as uh, really uh, uh, four buttons going from south to north. So you would have London, the home counties, Birmingham and the Midlands, Greater Manchester, Greater Manchester including Liverpool, and then further north, Lancashire, Yorkshire, Tyneside, so forth. And Literally, the top two there was Birmingham and the Midlands and the Greater Manchester. Wow. And when we ran the numbers, uh, there was not a statistical difference between Birmingham, Midlands and Manchester. Whereas if you had run the, the numbers four or five years ago, London home counties would have come out, you know, uh, far ahead of those. And I think it was because of the affordability of housing. Um, and we had people that maybe didn't weren't moving without uh, with a job. Um, they needed to get a job, but they didn't necessarily want to go in and buy in central London. Um, so uh, there was a definite uh, definite move to to uh, those those other cities. Certainly, I look at the property sales that are done from Asia, and 
if we went back 10, 15 years, it was all London. But now Manchester and Birmingham and other regional cities, it's it's huge. And for one major reason, affordability. Yeah. Yeah. We did see a weird uh, spike into Nottingham at the tail end of the year. Um, and we had felt that people might have thought Manchester and Birmingham had gone up too much. And, and they were making us a, a little segue into Nottingham. Maybe Nottingham Forest fans yeah, going back as they're back in the Premier League. <laughs> Could have been something like that. And people who've left, are you starting to see some of those clients booking you again to come back? Yes, we are. Um, we've got a, you know, uh, we've, uh, our teams worked, our customer service teams work many hours. They've developed a great relationship with people. Uh, some people, um, uh, it was just a gut reaction to move. And now they are starting to come back. So every month we've got containers coming in from the UK. It's not every week yet, but we've got every month we've got them coming back in. Australia is sending in shipments. Singapore is sending in shipments. I've got shipments coming in from Korea. You know, so it's um, people coming in to to fill the job vacancies, right? The critical talent needs in Hong Kong. That's great news. Yeah, really, really positive to hear. Finally, Patrick, what would your top tips be beyond what we've talked about for anybody looking to relocate? I think what I said, the, you know, the planning early if you can, um, go with someone that knows what they're doing uh, and uh, just, um, I, I think currently we're in a period of uh, ocean freight prices that were returned to a pre-COVID level. Um, but I do believe that the shipping lines are quite unified and if, uh, if they get the opportunity they'll, they'll put rates up again. So I think you need to, people live differently now. We have flat screen TVs, we, we don't have as bulky a sort of furniture. We've definitely, as an industry, we've seen a big change there. So um, just think about, you know, minimizing your volume, vacuum packing, soft items. Um, we deliver vacuum bags to clients so that they can, they can do that. Uh, and just, you know, making it the essence of, of what you need to, uh, to sort of move. Patrick, where can people find you? How can people contact you if they've got questions? Um, at, look, our, our website's a very busy place. Um, we're just we're, um, launching, you know, a few more product lines, and we're making a few changes. Uh, but um, they can uh, um, get in touch with us um, that way. We have an online form, and we have a very responsive uh, team that is getting in touch with people. We have entries, um, inquiries that have been entered over the weekend. Um, we have a system that can process up to a thousand, more than, has processed a thousand inquiries in a month. That's wonderful. You'll find Patrick's uh, links, moving contacts on the footer of this uh, podcast. But in the meantime, Patrick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Neil. It's, uh, it's been a, a pleasure to have this chat with you. Thank you. Join me again on Around the Houses. My name's Neil Jensen from St. James's Place. Take care. Bye-bye.